Mawale for the win. Alike Okunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Pino gets the crossing. He's towards Wale. Welcome into All In, a women's sports podcast here on WFUV Sports. I am Maddie Bamonte, and I am joined with my co-host, Sam Bohr, Annabelle Watson, for the first episode of 2023. This is so exciting. I'm so glad we get another year of All In. But guys, before we get into it, how was your new year, and what have you guys been doing over break? Well, it's pretty not great weather here in Connecticut, so I've kind of just been going on walks. Um, I've actually been watching a lot of basketball. I traveled to URI to see the Florida men's game, which was fun. And I've been watching um, my Yukon Huskies men and women, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, but super excited to be on the first episode um, of the new year. Uh, New Year's was fun. I was in Chicago with some of my best friends. So that was very fun and funky to see them. Otherwise, I've just been doing a lot of being horizontal um, and seeing people in my hometown because we are all very, very busy bees during the school years. So it is important to rest when we have the opportunity. So that's what I've been doing. But I'm so excited to be back on All In for another year of, of this lovely, incredible podcast. And we have so many fun things to talk about today. Like I love when we have like diverse shows. And this one is like, very diverse in terms of what we pulled out for this week, but we're going to start it off pretty easy. We're going to get into some top 25 women's basketball. And like Annabelle mentioned, we're going to start off with the UConn Xavier game. It was kind of a blowout um, with a 73, not even kind of, it was a blowout, 73-37 win um, in Cincinnati. And one of the standouts of the game though, Aaliyah Edwards injuring her ankle when she crashed into the courtside seats. She didn't play in the second half. Chris Daly moved to 17 and 0 in games when she's filled in for head coach. Um, it's been a wild ride for UConn this season with injuries. Now with their coach being out for their fourth game this season, guys, this team has really impressed me, but these injuries are really scary. What do we kind of think about where they've been going with these injuries and what we've kind of seen out of them so far? Um, so for me, it is very frustrating as a fan. It's like, it seems like every time it's like always one step forward, two steps back. So like Ozzy Fudge, she's expected to return soon. She participated in warmups um, in the Xavier game, but then you have Aaliyah Edwards getting injured and it's like, we can't, they can't get away from it. You know, Gino is almost like injured now. And it's great to see Chris Daly kind of, um, at the helm because she's an amazing assistant coach. Um, they're undefeated um, under her, which is awesome to see. This team, I think, has been resilient. Um, it's their sixth straight win. But, you know, 
it, it sucks to see that so many players are injured. They only had seven available players during this game and only three UConn players have played this every game this season. So those stats, you can just see that the injuries are really a problem. And hopefully when Ozzy Fudd returns, that can kind of um, make improvements, but it's really hard to see these players keep going down. It seems like they can't really catch a break. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the hard thing about sports always is that it's just sometimes terrible luck when it's just injury after injury after injury. And I mean, we've seen that injury bug bite so many of our favorite teams. And now to see it really latch on to this UConn women's team is is tough to watch. I mean, they're still hanging on, like you said, Annabelle, winning six in a row. I mean, they're 6-0 and in conference play, and they still have got a 13-2 record for the season, which is very impressive. But it's just so hard when it seems like, oh, one person is close to coming back and then another one just goes out immediately. And it's it's great that, you know, they still have people who are able to produce for the team highly. Like you had Aubrey Griffin with 19 points in this win and things like that. But still, I mean, you have Aaliyah Edwards going out, like you said, and she's had 20 or more points in seven games this season. And she only got seven points before she got injured and then had to leave the game. And so it's just so hard when, you know, we saw Paige Beckers go down earlier this year and we all were like, oh, that's so tough for this team. And then it just seems like injury after injury after injury. But that's the mark of a championship team is if they're able to still win without these, you know, high profile names and even without their head coach when she's six. So, I mean, still a powerhouse of a team, but just unfortunate to watch. Yeah, and this game was not very great to start out with. When I saw the first beginning of this game, UConn only made one of its first nine shots. They had five turnovers in the first five minutes. I really was kind of worried going into this game that I was like, oh man, like the injuries are finally catching up. Like this is this is a collapse moment for them. Like this is a game that they're really going to struggle with. Um, immediately turned it around after that. Uh, held Xavier to 21% shooting from the field, 19 from deep. Like they absolutely out-rebounded their opponent, like outplayed their opponent. And it really was a testament, like Sam, you just said, to being a championship team and to really showing what they really have in store. Um, and so many of these players, like we've talked about, also being so impressive that um, they have made the Wooden Award list for the uh, midseason. Um, main, main players from UConn, Ozzy Fudd, has made the list um, alongside um, many other amazing um, college basketball players. But it has been a testament, I think, to seeing what they have. Aaliyah Edwards also making the list. Um, this midseason list has been really impressive and it'll be crazy to see if one of them can maybe pull through and and challenge last year's winner Aaliyah Boston and see if we can get somebody there but absolutely incredible so far I don't know if you guys have any kind of final thoughts on the game or what else you guys have seen but it was just a, a crazy game and, and so many accolades are coming about for UConn that it's just really impressive. Yeah, I think this is definitely a testament to their strength. And, you know, if they do get really far in the tournament, um, I think it's going to be one of their, you know, they have so many tournament wins and so many championships. But I think if they can pull this one out, it would be one of the most impressive because of how injured they've been and how they've really had a test of resilience. I agree. I mean, I, I can't even say too much different than what Annabelle just said, but I think looking at the stats for this game, it's interesting to see 
how different the two of these teams played. I mean, UConn only UConn went six for 18 from three, but I mean, Xavier shot 26 of those. They went five for 26. So it's just interesting how each of these two teams played and how it played out for them then in this match. But, you know, UConn's been a powerhouse. They continue to be obviously by just decimating uh, their opponent in this game. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not too scared for them for the rest of the season, uh, at least at this point, even with all these injuries. Yeah, and I think we're going to transition now to another game that occurred over in the ACC. Boston College took on NC State. It was the return of Diamond Johnson after her injury, uh, and it just didn't go NC State's way last night. It was a great game on Boston College's part. Um, NC State had great defense, but they really just edged them out over this one, winning 79-71. Guys, with the return of Diamond Johnson, I kind of expected the NC State to take this game and to really see her shine, um, but it just wasn't the case, especially after the Wolfpack came off of a road win. Um, but it just really was a close game. I don't know if you guys have any things that you saw in the game initially or what you saw out of Diamond Johnson, but this was a tough game for the NC State Wolfpack to lose. Yeah, definitely. I think this, you know, it was a very back and forth game, so it wasn't like NC State completely collapsed. Um, I think BC just shot very well from the floor, 45%. They were great on rebounding. They had 42 rebounds. And then also, you know, I don't know how huge of a contributing factor this is, but um, Dontavia Wagner from BC, she is a transfer from NC State, so it was kind of a little revenge game for her, and she had a fantastic game against her former team. So um, just kind of a little bit, you know, not great game from NC State and a fantastic game from BC. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I couldn't have said it better. Just a fantastic game from BC. I mean, you see, um, forgive me if I if I mispronounce her name, um, Tyna Mayer, she had a double-double. I mean, she had 15 points, 10 assists, six rebounds. You see a couple of the people Oh, you see someone else double-doubles on Tavia Wagner also had a double-double with 23 points and 10 rebounds and three assists. So you're just seeing a lot of production out of a bunch of different players on this team. And I mean, this was an upset for them. I think it's their first top 10 or their, uh, their first ranked win or win against a ranked opponent. However, the way is to, to properly say that since like 2007 or something like that, it was some crazy stat like that for BC but what was so interesting for me about this game is that it was so back and forth I I couldn't count how many lead changes there were but there was a lot of them and it seemed like every time you know one of them would get a one or two point lead it would just immediately switch and there was never really a large margin of of points between these two teams I think the biggest one is when you know BC went up 41 35 to start the third but then after that, I mean, NC State, the Wolfpack climbs back. So it's just so interesting to see how back and forth this entire game was. And a lot of it, like you said, Annabelle, thanks to Dontavia Wagner having a standout performance against her previous team. And she led everyone with with 23 points for that game. So pretty incredible for that one. Yeah, and I think one of the crazy things about the game, like we said, it was back and forth almost the entire time. But Boston College was just so much better at converting three-pointers and really moving the ball inside the court. NC State was just not good at all in the zone. They just really did not have the kind of skills to get it inside, get it to the rim. Um, Their coach, 
Westmore saying after the game that they settled for a lot of jump shots and a lot of threes and they just didn't simply go down. And that was kind of their fault for the game. So it was a really strong performance from Boston College, getting scoring early often. Um, and obviously NC State had tremendous defense, but defense was just not enough for them in this game. And they unfortunately dropped it. Um, they will be back again, hopefully for an ACC matchup soon. But we are going to cover one of the most anticipated games, I would say, of women's college basketball coming up soon. Tomorrow night is Michigan versus Iowa. There is no more Naz Hillman in this picture anymore. It used to be Naz Hillman versus Caitlin Clark for the past couple of years, but now Caitlin Clark um, is going to be taking on Michigan. Um, last year, the teams traded the W's. Michigan won the first game. Iowa won the second. Um, Naz Hillman, like I mentioned, plays for the Atlanta Dream now in the WNBA. Um, so far, it's looking to be a really strong matchup between these two teams. And it's always exciting to see them when you have powerhouse scorers on both teams. Iowa is just coming off a New Year's Day loss to Illinois. But what are you guys seeing initially? And where do you think this game is going to go? Um, for me, I think Iowa's biggest issue is that Caitlin Clark is kind of, they kind of just rely on her. Um, you know, she is a fantastic player. I think she's probably a contender for uh, National Player of the Year. But I think that Michigan just has more contributors. Um, Maddie Nolan, Emily Kaiser, I think it's pronounced. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, they there's a lot more contributors and Iowa kind of relies on Caitlin Clark. And I think in a matchup like this, you know, having, having more players is just gonna win out. Um, and Michigan is a very good team defensively. They only allow an average of 58 points per game while Iowa allows 69 uh, average per game. So I tend to think in college basketball that defense wins out. So I'm going to go with Michigan on this one. I think it's a bit of a of a toss up for me because like you said a lot of the a lot of the you know Iowa team structure does rely on Caitlin Clark and we talked about that a, like a few episodes ago when we were saying you know she can't be the sole leader of this team she can't be their entire everything because when you build to call her a franchise player I guess for lack of a lack of a better term when you build your entire team around one franchise player if that player goes down I mean you are kind of just straight out of luck for lack of a lack of a better term. And I mean, thankfully she hasn't yet this year, but if she were to, that would be detrimental to this team. She's obviously doing well, but I mean, there are other players on the um, Iowa team who are still just as impressive. You have Monica Sinano. She was also nominated or was recognized um, in preseason as one of the potential players of the year. You have McKenna Warnock. So there are other contributors on that team who are still very powerful, but when you look at Michigan overall, I mean, they just outscore their op opponents like no one else. I mean, for this season, they have a total of 1,146 points and their opponents only have 882 against them. So it's clear how much they can outscore their opponents. And I mean, they're 50%, essentially 47.9%, sorry, of their field goal percentage um, on the court. So they know how to shoot and they're, they're accurate. They're deadly. So I think this is going to be a really, really interesting matchup. I think it's going to be a close game as much as I hate to call it and give, and give Taylor Masetta the satisfaction. If she's listening, I think I also have to go with Michigan for this one, but who knows? 
You guys are kind of reading my mind. I, when I was researching and going into this game, I really was impressed by Michigan, especially after their last game against Penn State. They are not really a huge three-point shooting team, but they are so excellent in rebounding and converting. Um, And we saw it against Penn State, what they kind of brought out. While they only shot like 40% from the three, they were excellent on rebounds. 40 rebounds, 13 offensive rebounds, um, stealing the ball, not turning it over as much. They really were impressive in ball movement, which I think is so big against a person like Caitlin Clark, who consistently can put up those shots no matter what. You really have to make sure your defense is on par for this. Um, I think while looking at what... Iowa has done and some of those amazing players they have like Monica Cesarno, Caitlin Clark, um, McKenna Warnock. I just think when, like we've said, when you rely on Caitlin Clark to be your number one person every single game, while she does deliver 90% of the time, there is also a huge um, risk that you take with that. And if your defense is on and you can shut Caitlin Clark down, it's going to be really hard for her to put up those threes and put up those shots all the time. I think another huge factor is they're playing in Michigan tomorrow. It is a home game for them. And I think in this sport, home field advantage is crazy big for them. Um, So that'll be another huge factor for Michigan. But I've been just really impressed by Michigan's ball handling and seeing what they've put up, that it's almost impossible for me to root against Michigan in this case. And so I think Michigan is going to take this one as well. But that is kind of enough of the top 25 that we're going to talk about today. Instead, we have to talk about another huge event happening in women's sports, the NWSL draft on January 12th. That is coming around the corner really quickly. And there was some movement yesterday in terms of the number one pick. Angel City acquired the top pick in next week's NWSL draft in a three-team trade between the Portland Thorns and the New York, New Jersey Gotham. Um, And they are going to use their selection, hopefully wisely, and see what they can get out of it. Um, I read that their main target right now is Alyssa Thompson, who is still on the fence of getting into the draft. She is an 18-year-old who is committed to go play at Stanford, but she has not officially decided um, with what she is going to do. Um, Angel City getting that first round pick, Gotham getting that second pick. So I think as we look at this draft, I want to know your guys' first initial opinions on what you've seen, what you think the outcome of that trade was, and who do you think um, you might see entering that draft or who do you think is a good potential target? Yeah, I think, you know, Gotham trading away the first pick when you look at that like on surface level you're like why would they do that but um they're really only going down one pick and then they get Yasmeen Ryan from the Portland Thorns she's very young talented and she's established herself as a quality midfielder so I think that's a really good piece for Gotham um and then as far as draft picks um Someone I've had my eye on is Reina Reyes from Alabama. She is a defender. She led the Bama defense to 12 shutouts this year and also won SEC Defensive Player of the Year. So just a really great defensive piece that I think could contribute to those teams who are, you know, lacking in defense um, right now. I think she could be a great draft pick. I think for me, similarly, when I saw that, you know, Gotham had given away the first the first pick at first, I was like, what are you doing? That is like the most coveted thing in any in any sport draft ever. But like you said, I mean, they only went down one pick and they kind of 
made away like bandits and this, they were the winners of this sort of trade draft situation. 100%. I mean, like you said, they get Yasmin Ryan, who's a very proven goal scorer, who's been very powerful with the Portland thorns. And now they're only second in line. And I mean, if Thompson is, you know, Angel City's main target, then that means that Gotham FC is probably going to go for Michelle Cooper, who um, has just been a member of the Duke team, the Blue Devils, and she was the captain of the U.S. Women's National Team U-20 team. And she finished last season with 19 goals and 11 assists. So, I mean, one of Gotham's problems this entire last season has been just scoring goals and finding the back of the net. And I mean, if they have... Ryan and Cooper, two people who are proven goal scorers and who have stats like they do, I think it could really change the way that this club operates and it could change one of the biggest issues for them or rather help solve one of the biggest issues for them and could, you know, make this team much more prominent because they were bad last year, undoubtedly, hence why they're the first or were the first overall pick. Um, And so I think that for them, they should really be looking at Michelle Cooper, but I mean, winning this trade by and large by and large Gotham got away with the best of it for this one I completely agree I think Gotham made the right decision with this one um I think especially if Angel City is really hyper focused on Alyssa Thompson you're really not missing out much here you still get your pick of so many talented women in this draft uh I think with Gotham like you mentioned Sam the difficulty was goal scoring they could never capitalize on their they would have their setup plays and they just were never able to capitalize and they had a lot of talent on their team um, I do want to highlight Thompson though if she does go number one she was incredibly impressive she was the Gatorade high school player of the year in 2021 she made her international debut at 17. She didn't make it to the U.S. team's um, first training camp of the World Cup that year, but she is also an amazing sprinter. She has like the second fastest 100-meter time in California, which is absolutely insane. So I think going number one for her, she has a really tough decision on her hands if she wants to go to Stanford, get her NIL deals, or if she wants to take her shot at going pro and maybe making it to the World Cup roster for either Australia, New Zealand, or the U.S. Um, for I mean, for the U.S. in Australia, New Zealand. So that will be a definitely um, difficult pick for her. But shifting over to Gotham, like we've said, I think Gotham has that top cream of crop to choose from. Michelle Cooper, like you mentioned, incredible. Izzy D'Aquila for Santa Clara also was another person on my radar who I was very impressed with, finishing with 19 goals in 2022. She had 50 career goals in 78 games across three seasons. I think if you want kind of a little bit of an older um, player in college to really develop your team and, and be there. I think her or Michelle Cooper is a great pick. Um, but there's just so many amazing um, midfielders, defenders like Raina Reyes, like you mentioned, um, Alex Spinastra for Virginia. Um, there's just so many great players on that kind of um, draft roster that look incredible. I do also want to shout out my home team, the North Carolina Courage, having three first round picks this time, which is absolutely incredible for them because they really needed to develop some depth. They also didn't um, play too great this past season. Uh, and the Portland Thorns rounding out everything at last for winning the NWSL championship this year. So it will be definitely a very highly anticipated draft for me to watch and for everybody else to watch. Um, but I think after seeing that three-way trade, that was just honestly getting me so excited for everything. It's going to be really exciting to watch the rest of the draft. 
But we have a couple of more things to talk about before we wrap up our show today. And one of them to me, I didn't even know about until Annabelle brought it up. But uh, in the skiing world, there is a ton going on with Michaela Schifrin, who is just one win away from equalizing Lindsey Vaughn, the incredible skier, wins of 82 World Cup wins after she took the victory in the slalom competition in Zagreb, Croatia on Wednesday. Um, it is absolutely incredible to see this. Um, one thing I want to highlight about this that I thought was so cool that I mentioned before the show started when you win that slalom competition, you get a crown, a little snow crown that you get to wear and you're crowned the snow queen, which I think is absolutely adorable in, in skiing. I'm just, I thought that was so interesting and so cool to see, but she is 27 years old. She can make her place in skiing history. Guys, this is absolutely just a crazy story, I think, to see and to talk about because skiing kind of falls into the background, but it's winter sports season. We got to talk about our winter sports. So what have you guys taken away from this story and, and what do you think of Schifrin's run so far? Yeah, I think it's great for her because um, in the Beijing Olympics, she didn't get on the podium at all. So she's kind of looking for a little bit of revenge to make up for the lack of medals um, at Beijing. And I think it's great um, just to see a woman in skiing really thrive like this. And, you know, something that I have skied before, obviously not at this level, I'm a very bad skier actually but something that's very impressive about skiing to me is how much you know you really depend on the weather and you have to go out and perform to your highest potential and you have to deal with the elements um in this race that Michaela Schifrin won the conditions were terrible the snow was really slushy and gross but she has to go out there and just kind of deal with it and kind of fighting against the elements like that is very very impressive to me yeah, as a skier myself, when it's slushy, it is just not fun. And also, quick shout out, Michaela Schifrin is a Colorado native. She is from Vail, Colorado. And for the listeners at home, I am a Colorado gal myself. So shout out Michaela Schifrin representing it for the Colorado girlies. She is kind of the epitome of like the Colorado ski girl that I grew up being very envious of because they were just so good at everything. And they look so cool while doing it too. Our little snow queen rocking it. But I mean... The conditions were, like you said, not great, but how how much more impressive it is then that she won and that she is now only one win away from equalizing Lindsey Vaughn, one of the greatest of all time. I mean, even if you're not into skiing, if you're not into winter sports, you know who Lindsey Vaughn is. You know that name. You know how talented she is. The fact that Michaela Schifrin being so young is almost about to tie that record of 82 World Cup wins is just insane and I mean she's only five wins away from equaling the overall record for World Cup wins of all time currently held by Ingmar Stenmark from Sweden so I mean good for good for my Colorado girl and I mean it is always so fun to watch competitive skiing of this class because I am in no way a skier of that uh, magnitude so watching people who are able to just rip down a course like that is so impressive because it requires so much more strength balance and endurance than I think a lot of people realize. As someone who's never skied, because where would I ski in North Carolina? Like, I don't get the opportunity to. So watching it to me is like the only opportunity I get to see all of this. Um, but she absolutely impressive just from what you know about the race. Like you talked about Annabelle. She just became the third woman in the last six years to the top 
uh, to top the first run of a top level slum starting from seventh place, which is the worst starting position. Um, she had the largest lead from the women's starting seventh since December, 2016. And, like we mentioned, Zagreb is not a good course. It is absolutely awful conditions and everything. And Schifrin had to ski after the other top six women skiers in the world tore up the whole um, ski ramp. And she went, was the last of 30 skiers in the second run. So she had the worst conditions possible, which is absolutely insane to think. And she put out such an amazing run. Um, and she has just been amazing over the last recent weeks. She has five win streak right now, three different events she's won. And she won back-to-back um, -back slums in Finland to start off the season. So she absolutely incredible. Um, she never gotten into any difficulties during her run. And it was just absolutely incredible to watch such a talented woman athlete who in her sport gets overlooked, but winter sports, man, they are something to look out for. And I will be very excited to hopefully see her um, race get rescheduled very soon. I believe it's going to be this weekend and see if she can pull away with that victory and get that tie with Lindsay Vaughn. That will be very exciting. Um, but Kind of last thing I want to wrap up the show with, um, since it is the first show of the new year, and we obviously saw 2022 and what it did for women's sports with the um, initialation of the NIL deals, um, everything that occurred with some of the most um, watched things in women's sports with the WNBA regular season being the most watched since 2006, um, so much going on with Sue Bird's retirement with Brittany Griner being detained in Russia. So many things in women's sports brought it to the forefront. And I just want to kind of use this time at the end of the show to really talk about what we saw in 2022 and where we think the future of women's sports is kind of headed now at this point going into 2023. Yeah, definitely. I think in our last episode, we talked a lot about some of the advancements that were being made with the NWSL. They introduced free agency. You know, that's a great thing to kind of almost legitimize the league and make it make it more prominent. And then we talked about the um, Premier Hockey Federation, the Women's Hockey League, and how they were getting more salary cap. Just, you know, kind of small victories for women's sports. I think it's always great to see. And, you know, in the WNBA and the NCAA for basketball, we saw a great viewership, which is always amazing to bring attention to women's sports. And, you know, this past year for the um, Women's March Madness, there was a lot of um, controversy about like their lack of equipment and their they had like a much smaller weight room than the men. And, you know, there was a lot of attention on social media. And they eventually got that bigger weight room. And I think it's great to see people bring attention to women's sports issues on social media. I think it's a great tool we have now that these athletes can advocate for themselves. I agree. And something that's, that's made this year, I think, a lot more um, impactful for women's sports as well has been the allowance of NIL, which is name, image and likeness uh, sponsorships and uh, funding for these athletes. I mean. One of the big social media, you know, athlete stars of our generation is Livy Dunn, who's a gymnast at Louisiana. And I mean, she has gotten scholarship after scholarship, and she is always on my TikTok feed, but good for her. And I mean, even though 
I mean, people can say what they want about TikTok and social media, but it really has been such a beneficial thing to women's sports this year. And it's brought so much more attention. I mean, players like Sedona bringing attention to Oregon women's basketball. Uh, she has been a huge part of that. And there have been, or with everything going on, you know, with the um, volleyball uh, tournament that was happening, I was watching a lot of the Louisville players on my feed. And I mean, before that, I, I can't say that I've ever paid that much attention, but then I was invested because, you know, you get some semblance of who these people are in their personhood, which is great. And it's been so nice to see, you know, women's sports get recognized as much as they should and to be, you know, trending upward in that way. I, there was a there was a match between the U.S. and England at Wembley back in August, and it drew almost 78,000 fans. And then that was after there was an 87,000, you know, number of viewership, however you want to say that, when England beat Germany in the Euro Championship finals. And it was the biggest attendance for a European Championship match, men's or women's. So I just think it's it's really exciting. And hopefully 2023, you know, doesn't stop with the uh, progress, but only continues upwards. Before I say anything, Sam, you had a little Southern slang when you said Louisville. That was so cute. It was so fun. <laughs> They, you know, a lot of people think I'm Southern for some reason. I get a lot of people asking if I am. And I guess it's because the way I say Louisville. So I don't know. <laughs> when I heard that, I was just like, oh my God, she's so Southern with that. Um, but you guys are absolutely right. Like this year was crazy for women's sports and the development of it. And it's only going to continue to grow. Um, I wrote an article for the Fordham Ram about um, the NIL deals and what I think they've done for women's sports. And I was really impressed by them. I think this is a huge step forward for women's sports because at the end of the day, the deals are really there to market the player. And the more women that we get in those roles with deals like Nike, Under Armour, um, Gatorade, like all these deals put women out in advertisements more and more and more to the point where you're oversaturating the market with women's sports and you really want to do that. Um, when we spoke to Kelly Bright last week, she said, all you have to do is just get more people talking about women's sports. And that's why you have to shove it down their throats in the same way they shove men's sports down our throats. You really have to get out there. I, I checked ESPN this morning and I was scrolling through to see like what else we could talk about today. There is no mention of women's sports anywhere on the ESPN app at all. And to me, that's a huge misfortune and a mistake on the part of ESPN to not talk about women's sports at all, not even include a singular story about what could be going on. Um, no talk about the Michigan-Iowa game, which to me is one of the biggest women's college basketball games of the season. No, no mention of any um, skiing and breaking the world, um, the world cup records by Lindsey Vaughn for Michaela Schifrin. None, none of that is mentioned on any ESPN apps. And it's a shame because of what women's sports has really progressed with and done over the past year. Um, we mentioned so many different um, accolades for women's sports. NWSL title game getting 915,000 viewers on prime time, which was the league record. Um, and now with the Women's World Cup around the corner, it's almost a, like the end is completely limitless for women's sports and to see what they can do. And it's going to be absolutely crazy to watch the future of women's sports with so many talented athletes, as long as we continue to market women's sports and continue to, you know, put it in people's mindsets. Um, but it's absolutely crazy. It's incredible. And I'm really hoping that 2023 can bring more for women's sports, more for the marketing, more for NIL deals, 
just putting women out there more and really getting that kind of attention towards them. But that is enough from me today. Thank you so much for listening to All In, a women's sports podcast here on WFUV Sports. If you want to listen to any of our episodes, you can check us out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out any of our clips on YouTube. But until next time, this is Sam Bohr, Annabelle Watson, and I'm Maddie Vamati saying so long, and we'll see you next week.